0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Rugby League Back Chat from the LD Nutrition Stadium. On the panel this week, former Super League and NRL star and the new creator of the comic, Rugby Blood, Keith Mason, publisher of 4020 magazine, Phil Kaplan, and the chief executive of Batley Bulldogs, Paul Harrison. Gents, welcome. Thanks for joining us. uh, We've got loads to talk about this week, but we're going to go straight to Great Britain because we've got the new performance squads this week on Monday and the obvious name Phil that was in there was Australian Blake Austin. What are your thoughts on this which has got social media going like a storm?
1: Well initially this is the England performance squad, Mm -hmm. so Great Britain will come off the back of this and at the moment I think England are looking at who's going to play maybe in the nines later in the year when we have the first World Cup nines. I'm not sure what all the furor is about, Um, if somebody's eligible and the two things that were mentioned when the squad was announced, if they're committed mm-hmm. and their quality, particularly in a position where we don't have a lot of quality, I'm not sure that, uh, that there's even an issue. And there's historical precedent. For example, the Australians themselves picked up Bobby Fulton, one of their all-time immortals who was born in Warrington. Mm-hmm. Rangy Chase has already played for England. I think there's a bigger issue here and it's not about Blake Austin. I think it's about the fact that he's moving from a potential tier one nation in Australia mm-hmm to another tier one nation in England. I, I don't think there's a problem with that. I think where I do have a problem is in England night squad that was named at the same time. We've got two players who played for Ireland in the last World Cup. Jamaica
0: as well, Ashton Golding's involved.
1: So, you know, the likes of Toby King, who could make a real impact for the Irish team if the British Lions are going to have genuine meaning uh, in when they tore yep. down under, um, and obviously Joe Philbin, are current Irish internationals. They're in an England performance squad. Now, they're a tier two nation. I think that uh, what we've seen in the Southern Hemisphere is the exact reverse of that. We've seen the Taumalolos and and the Martita of move to Tonga and then to Samoa, and they're gonna be Pacific powerhouses. We need to protect the tier two nations, but I don't have an issue at all with with Blake Austin. If he's eligible, which he clearly is through his grandmother, those are the rules. Um, If he's committed, which he's now saying, I won't play. I don't want to play for Australia. I'm, I'm absolutely certain that England is my home. And if he plays in a position that perhaps could have been the difference between England winning and losing a World Cup in 2017, then I'm all for it. And obviously, the the, the comparative example is what's just happened in the Cricket World Cup.
0: Yeah, well, that's a, uh, you can you can look at this from two different ways, I guess, Paul. Everyone's just been cheering England cricket team going on, but the amount of uh, overseas players, as South Africans, as Irish players, there is that. At the same time, this is an Australian playing for England. It's happened before. What what side of the fence are you on? Well, it's
2: just if he's eligible, you know, you can't see a problem. Mm-hmm. For me personally, I think he should play for Australia, but if it's in the rules, then, you know, so be it.
0: Keith, I'm going to put you in a position here. So mm-hmm. let's go back to your playing career. You're, let's say you're on the cusp of getting in the Great Britain squad and someone from New Zealand gets picked. What what would be going through your mind? Would it bother you or would, would you to think you know what? Fair enough.
3: Well, a lie if uh, if it didn't bother <laughs> me. Because obviously, you know, uh, Blake Austin, is uh, having a fantastic year. Mm-hmm. I think he's a he's a good addition to England if they want to have a chance of winning. Uh, but like I said, if he's eligible then, you know, you've seen it with Rangi Chase, you've seen it with Australian players, Jason Tamalolo, all them players switching back over to Tonga, mm-hmm. coming from New Zealand. So, you know, you've got to move with the times. And if his grandparents is English, right? Yeah. Um, I don't see a problem with it. I mean, but, I sh- but, but I do, but, sorry, but I do, the only problem I see is, is young English players coming through. And if, a, like you said, if someone's on the cusp of making that, making that squad, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I we'll would be disappointed, but... You know, it's, it's the players who are, in, who are playing really well should be getting picked, and you know, Austin. And he
1: clearly is. But why, yeah. sh- why should England be the only nation that plays with one nation tied behind its back? You know, the, yeah. the Aussies at the moment are playing Tyson Frizzell, who's played for Wales. Their their star standout player in the Origin series was James yeah. Tedesco, who played the it's... last World Cup for Italy. Yeah. Paul Vaughan played for Italy as well. Yeah. Now, we we seem to be the only nation. That want to play with solely English players, yeah. and yet we're still behind those other nations. They, sh- they should be looking to get that edge, like yeah. the Australians do. You look at Petro,
3: and Siva. Absolutely. Fijian,
0: uh, you know. Uh, the was semi-regional, wasn't there? Sp-
3: yeah, there's, there's been many, many players that Australian have used uh, regarding uh, Fijians and Tongans and, and, and Kiwis. Uh, so. You know, there's only been Rangi Chase, right? Rangi Chase and Blycloski and Fasa So if they've got a different ethnicity or they're from a different country, it means they can't play. But I think that's wrong. If if they're eligible and if it's in the rules, then they should be able to play on form.
1: I think going back to the Cricket World Cup, there's another issue as well, and that is what is legacy? Now, we talk about legacy programmes. It's great that there'll be literacy um, alongside the World Cup. The biggest impact it will have is if England win. And I think that's what we've seen with cricket, that since they won at the weekend, all the talk has been it's engaging young people, Mm. they're going to want to pick up a bat. Well, if Blake Austin is good enough to earn a place in the England team, Mm. and that England team wins a World Cup on home soil in 2021, that potentially has a massive impact, which I I don't see what the objection to that is.
0: Well, the, the, the general consensus here then has been that if it's in the rules and it's eligible, it's allowed. Do we need to look at the rules? or are we happy with where they are or do they need to be Can I, can I just bit? say something here? Bro. Yeah.
3: So I played for Wales and I'm not born in Wales. So <laughs> uh, one of my grandparents is Welsh. Uh, I got the call from uh, Neil Kelly and asked if I would play or, or at Wakefield then just before I went to Melbourne Storm. Mm-hmm. And I said that if I were going to play for Wales, would it jeopardise my future for England? So Graham McCallum gave me, the, uh, gave me a note just before we played England at, at Wrexham uh, back in 2001, which we had a really good game. We had me, Cunningham and uh, Lee Breeze playing. And he gave me a letter just to, to confirm that it would not jeopardise my England future. And the following year, mm-hmm. I play for England in South Africa. Yeah. So, you know, uh, so I've done it myself, yeah. Yeah. you know, and if, if Blake Austin gets a chance to play for England, you know, I'm sure Blake Austin will give the best account of himself and, and,
1: and, pl- and play well. I think the interesting thing in all of this, as well is the Great Britain element, because what we can't have is Great Britain being England by another name, because you can't sell that in Australia. No, of course so I think when um, it comes to choosing the squad for the tour down yeah. under, um, a Blake Austin who's in there, a Lachlan Coote who has already played six times for Scotland, yeah. so you know he's made his commitment to the Bravehearts. <laughs> um, obviously then you add in the Regan Graces and the Morgan Knowles who have a, a, a Welsh yeah. element. Yeah. I think you've got a Great Britain team that you know everybody can get behind. Yeah. And surely that's what we're about mm-hmm. as well.
0: Yeah. Paul, oh, I'll go back to that question. Yeah. What do what do you think? Do we Do they need tweaking, or should we, you know, well, just I be think, happy with where they're at? I
2: think that it's happy they've been like that, you know, for a while now. So I think it'd be a major thing if they start changing it now. I think you've just got to roll with it, really.
0: Is there anyone we'd have liked to have seen in the performance squad beyond Blake Austin? There was talk of Jackson Hastings and Lachlan Coo.
1: I not him in your team, would
2: I don't think anyone <laughs> would mind
0: either of
1: in team. I think the thing about Coote is it's an England performance squad at the moment, and yeah. if we were announcing a Scotland performance squad at the same time, he'd be in that. Yeah. So he's not ruled out of Great Britain. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. the Jackson Hastings thing is really, really interesting because I get the um, impression that players were asked to forsake their modern country to make a commitment to England. And that's what Blake Austin's done. And that's why he's in. I think Jackson Hastings still thinks he will be going back to the NRL at some stage. He'll try and get into origin at some stage. He may then make himself eligible for Australia. He hasn't renounced mm. his home country. And I think mm. that's, the, that's why this Blake Austin thing is different. That's yeah. the commitment that Kevin Sinfield talks about. I, mm. I, I think there's another issue and um, we want the best World Cup we can get in, in 2021. We want as many competitive nations as we can get. And in 2000, we had a really competitive island. Um, got to the quarterfinals, played England at Headingley. There were, I think, 15,000 people there. And you look at that island team, you know, the, the likes of Barry McDermott and Steve Prescott and Mick Cassidy. And that is a team that we should have been able to take on to future World Cups. It's almost like we rebuild two two Tier nation, uh, two, 2 nations every time a World Cup yeah. comes along. And we've got to stop doing that. It goes back to the... And, and obviously, uh, the guys who would have a, a, a better idea than me because they've played the game. Should we make International Rugby League the pinnacle of everything that we do? Will everything at club level come off the back of a successful and high-profile international game? And if it will, we've got to spread the resource about because we haven't got enough players playing the game. What do you
2: think, Paul? Well, I think everybody wants to see you know the Great Britain. Everybody, you know, Being a junior and watching it, it's just... It's fantastic, you know, no, no, that's what you want. All the nation getting behind it. That can be great.
0: Yeah, I mean, Keith, you've played international level. Mm. What, what was your priority as such? Was, did you see international rugby as the pinnacle or was playing for Melbourne in the NRL and mm. playing Super League for Saints and, and Huddersfield and whoever else seen as your top thing?
3: Yeah, I think first and foremost, I think my focus was playing for my club mm-hmm. uh, to play well week in, week out and for some reason, in, uh, especially rugby league, international rugby league has not been the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously it's great to play for your country, yeah. but if you, look at, uh, if you look at rugby union, you look at England. Now, th- it's massive, isn't it? The, the international game is yeah. massive, and our, g- yeah. our international game is not as big as our club game because we've only got three, four, f- well, f- about five clubs now that are really, uh, five countries, sorry, that are very competitive. Uh, you look outside of that, and it's quite diluted uh, so i think that's that's the, that's the problem with international rugby and you know i think you know here right now we're, we're trying to we're trying to throw everything into super league and, and we should do uh but you know over the last
1: last couple of years england have, have, have performed brilliant mm-hmm. been fantastic I, th- I think there's another thing as well that one of the avowed aims of super league and particularly robert Helson, was to create stars and with the greatest respect our club game isn't big enough in terms of profile to make those stars but Mm. do it on the international stage win a world cup i mean you mentioned england rugby union the interesting thing about the makeup of their team is Mm. it's not all english players it's it's guys who come from new zealand and the pacific islands when we were all getting absolutely um, involved with the cricket I don't think anybody sat there going, I need to leave the room and not support this team <laughs> because there's a guy who has come from the West Indies. Or, yeah. you know, th- It's not about that. It, we are a mm-hmm. multicultural society and our national team should reflect that. Yeah. And if they do, I think it makes the winning so much better. Yep. I, I don't understand the furore about Blake Austin. I think, I think
3: if England won the World, World Cup, I think that would give it a big massive mix-up regarding uh, International Rugby League mm-hmm. uh, in England. You know because you know Great Britain have always just about nearly got there mm-hmm. and just lost Australia. I think they've won and against New Zealand in the last ten years. But and
1: that's why Austin's important because he plays in a position where if you look at all, m- virtually all of the Super League clubs at the moment, mm. s- their overseas stars are concentrated in the halfbacks position because mm. it's such a vital one 100%. to get your team yeah. going forward. Yeah. Well. If we'd have had a Blake Austin in that World Cup final in 2017, mm. Mm. our defence was superb. Mm. The one thing Wayne Bennett's got, he's got a core of forwards that play in the NRL that can defend. We, we're just missing that creative spark. If he adds mm. to that, if he brings the best out of George Williams, if Gareth Woodup is in that mix but Blake Austin well, here's, is pushing here's, them. Here's a, question.
0: here's a question. Paul, who's dropping out for Blake Austin?
1: It's straight in the team for me. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> but it, who it, drops it, out? You've got
0: you've got yeah. Gareth Widdett, you've got George Williams, you've got Luke Gale, you've got Stephen Ratchford at mm. fullback. you assume. Yeah. There's Sam Tompkins who's playing super... Who isn't playing to make way for Blake Austin? It'd be,
2: it'd be the person who's not playing their best, you know, to yeah. have that competition with just name them players. That's fantastic itself. I think it's yeah. nailed on he's going to score the winning try and just the media <laughs> friend is going to be great, so... Yeah, I don't it's, think it's anyone t- would mind if he did score the yeah, winning i try think, no, then. No, that's, I'd that's definitely be cheering him on.
0: Who would you... Where does he fit in the team? I'm not saying
1: he doesn't, but where
0: does he fit it's in It's where you play Johnny
1: Lomax. Mm. And Johnny me.
0: Lyme you mentioned Johnny Lomax, yeah. Um,
1: yeah. and if he's international position is fullback, I mean his form is is as good as Blake Austin's this year. It might not show it in the um in the man of steel rankings because St Helens have got so many good players, they're sharing out the points. Mm. But I think you just pick on form. Yeah. I think at you, time. You, you throw him into the training mm. mix, you see who responds. I mean at the moment Gareth Wood up for me is is not included because Obviously he's not playing and he's injured and uh, we don't know until he comes back and plays for Warrington exactly uh, what form he's going to be in. George Williams, I think he's suited to being a, more of a scrum half um, at international level. So for me, if you were picking the team today, Austin is in at standoff. Just
0: quickly, Keith, yeah. we've got uh, Jamaica playing the England Knights as well. How uh, great is it to see Jamaica now emerging yeah. mm. in, on the international scene? That's team? great. It's fantastic. It's brilliant. Uh,
3: you know, and, and they've got some good players as well. Uh, Obviously the England Knights are pushing for that England spot uh, but you know going back to, uh, I was just listening about the, about the players at the halfback, now they've got, Blake Austin comes in, that means that them players are going to have to play really well so they've got like four or five players who can play in the same spot,
1: that means that they're going to have to roll their sleeves up and perform.
0: Yeah.
1: I so think the point you make about Jamaica is really valid. <coughs> because Jamaica have qualified for a World Cup. The potential for that is massive, mm-hmm. with Jamaican communities in this country mm-hmm. supporting them. Well, the game's the,
0: being played at Headingley, isn't it? Which is a huge... There huge is a massive community. Jamaican...
1: Yeah. But the bulk of those Jamaican players, to make them competitive, will be players of heritage. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with
0: that? Well, that No-one's bothered about that, it's it'll
1: only yeah, 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 it's yeah. England. most yeah, so so, of them guys upon, born in England. But yeah, it'll yes, help so. the domestic yeah. game because the four or five players they'll bring over from the domestic competition will see the level they need to be at. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, before the World Cup, some of the heritage players will be going out to Jamaica to run coaching clinics and improve the domestic standard. But when they play England Knights, they have to be competitive. They will only be competitive if they play heritage players. Mm -hmm. So why should we have one rule for one and one rule for another?
0: I don't think anyone can disagree with that. That's that's just where we're at. Uh, Just to wrap this conversation up, Paul, looking at the squad that England are putting together, um, and obviously there is potential for more to come in yet and players could emerge. Are we in a position where England could win a World Cup in 2021?
2: Is that is that realistic? I'm definitely. You know, you know the the players we've got are great, and our best elite players are definitely as good as the Aussies.
0: Well, I uh, I hope you're right. No, I'm I sure I am. hope you're right. Well, <laughs> that uh, first part of this week's Rugby back Chat has flown by. We'll be back after the break to speak to Keith about his new comic that is set to take the game by storm. We'll be right back. back to part two of Rugby League Back Chat. Keith, I'm coming over to you because we have Rugby Blood here, which launched last week. This is your creation.
2: Yeah.
0: It certainly looks interesting. What can you tell us about it? How did this come about, first and foremost?
3: Well, obviously, I, uh, I retired uh, 2013 and I got a, a chance to be in a movie with a, a guy called Mickey Rock. Uh, <laughs> he said <names>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So Yeah. Uh, Very casual. You know, I, I met Mickey Rock after I played in the Challenge Cup Final in 2009. Uh, met him in a bar, became friends. And, uh, you know, eventually, you know, he, he cast me in a movie, Skin Traffic. Uh, I had lines in the film, so it was quite surreal for me, <laughs> uh, for a rugby League lad. And, uh, you know, obviously, I went through a tough period when I when I retired. Before I retired, I, I had a, a renowned court case against one of my old clubs. I won't talk about the club because I'm not here to talk about them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I won the case, I was playing at Castleford, and uh, I just wanted to, I didn't have that love for the game at that time. So I retired, Uh, left the game, and the film gave me a vision, a vision for my future. You know, a lot of rugby League players, you know, if they haven't got anything set up, you know, they struggle. And I understand why they struggle because when I retired, uh, I remember speaking to my friend Joe Carl Zaghi. He said to me, look, Keith, I, I respect you. you know, you're going to you know, retire on your terms. You've still got plenty of rub left in you, but you're a long time retired. And I wasn't really banking on what he meant by that. You know? And when I did retire, I really struggled because all I've ever done from six years old is play rugby. Mm-hmm. You know? So from playing rugby up to 31 years old and not knowing anything else, uh, and then cold turkey, finished quick, gone. You know, not, not having to be at a certain place at a certain time, mm-hmm. uh, y- you know, that discipline kind of wavered, and uh, it took me a while. You know, I went through a bit of, a, a bit about of of depression, and uh, I pulled for the other side. You know, I always took care of myself, and uh, it was very hard to to get through that phase of, of retirement. Mm-hmm. And any sportsman out there, you know, it, it, it's tough, and that's why I think it's really important that you rededicate yourself. Uh, you make sacrifices and you push on, and that's what I've done, you know. I, I created, I found out new talents about myself, you know. I started to screenwrite, uh, uh, obviously doing the comic. Mm-hmm. And it all came from uh, coming up with an idea for a film, *Rubby Blood. Uh, it's kind of an action film, but starring a, uh, a rubby star, mm-hmm. uh, which is quite a bit of a twist on it, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so uh, what I did is i wrote written the script with a Norwegian writer called Ben Von Kronus. I sent the script down to uh, Pinewood Studios. Pinewood got in touch with me uh, and they said, look, you know, we really like your you know, we like mm-hmm. the script. We're, yeah. we're interested in making the film. So I went down there mm-hmm. and I'm driving through the, the film studios, you know, and you know, when they met the 007 films and the Star Wars films. So for a really glad it's quite bizarre, you know. For yeah, me, very much so. The first script I've written, you know, they were interested in making it, I, I couldn't believe it. So I sat down with the film producers and, and me being in the business now and, and doing a few films and, and traveling around and, and learning, you know, everything about the business of yeah. entertainment business. Uh, it takes a long time to, to get a film made. You know, you distribution, producers, locations, you're gonna, you've got, you know, to attach stars to the film. Uh, it takes a lot of work. So what I did is I went backwards and I thought, let's crawl before you walk, right? And I did some research and I did some research on a, on a rugby comic featuring Super League stars. It's never been done before and I thought, this would be a great idea to do. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to a guy called Paul Roper. Uh, he's actually a, a Featherstone lad. And I could see that he was a, a big, massive Castleford fan. He was a fan of Castleford when I was there. Mm-hmm. And he was a great artist. And I just said, listen, I've got a story for you. Uh, if you can put the pictures to the story, we could do a comic. And my vision was to go to to Super League, to go to Super League and for them to endorse it. And, and then have Super League stamped on the front of the comic. and, mm-hmm. and bring out the first ever rugby league comic so basically that's how it came out, came about mm-hmm. and also i wanted to to give back to rugby league uh, and involve players and give them opportunities to be uh in a future netflix series which i'm talking to netflix now about doing an anime series so the players were involved in the comic which is super league stars you've got you know jake connor uh daryl clark McGilvery, nrl star tyson frizzell mm-hmm. you've got all the fame players uh, ruben yeah. wickey uh, mm-hmm. Kieran Cunningham, uh, you've got uh, Barry McDermott in there, uh, Johnny Lomax.
0: Where do you get involved? You must. You I'm,
3: the, I'm the leading man.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's the next so, James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> so I
3: said to I said to the you know I said to the the comic art, uh, the artist you know who shall we do as the lead? And he says, yeah. I think you should be the lead, Kev. So I'm like, let's go for it. Let's do it. Let's crack up. So obviously the reason why I brought the players in because it's relevant to obviously. Sorry, the, the comic is relevant now with the times. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at the end game, it's the biggest selling movie of all time. Yeah. And it's come from a medium of comics. Mm-hmm. Um, my ultimate goal is to go and, and do a film. Do a film, a Rubberwood film. Uh, the next step from the comic is an anime series with Netflix. Mm-hmm. And I think when I contacted uh, Rob Elston, thanks to you, Matthew. You're welcome. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I contacted Rob. Uh, they was interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, contacted Super League. Rob Pertius, or the Super League team, uh, Rodri Jones. And, uh, you know, there was interested. Then I had to follow up on the, on the, on the uh, <coughs> negotiations with, with Rob, and I had to sell my idea to Rob, my vision to Rob, and Rob bought into my, my vision. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, we did the deal uh, with getting Super League involved. And obviously, Super League see it as a, a marketable tool, because if we're selling the comic worldwide, you know, you could get people in China opening up the comic sure. and seeing Super League stars, mm-hmm. where you've never seen yeah. a rugby league player in China. And it's or world, is,
0: is it worldwide? So you launched it on Friday. Is it, yes. Is it available worldwide? Worldwide, no. yes. Right. Yeah. And I'm sure that Phil's already been in contact with you about getting it in his bookshop.
3: Yeah.
1: No, I love to. I love to I, get th- get I think the, there's two things about this that strike you immediately. One is, as we said in part one, one of the aims of Super League is to create stars. Yeah. So if you've got. Jake the Snake, comma, yeah. as your villain. Yeah, that's actually Jake's uh, comic. <laughs> People are going to buy into that yeah. and it, it elevates them above what they do on the rugby yeah. field. I think the other thing is you're appealing to an audience that is new and yeah. is young. And, and that was the other aim of Robert yeah. Elston when he took over was he yes. wanted to he called it break the bubble. Um, and you look around some grounds at the moment, yeah. um, you know, Paul would know particularly at Batley, and we do have an ageing population, as mm. county cricket does. Now, if you can get young kids involved yes. in something like this, then, again, it's, it's one of the primary aims of the sport at the yeah. moment. I, f- I think what I did is I did my own work and I thought, you know what, if I can get real
3: superstars of the game in the comic as characters, that would be even better. Mm-hmm. And so when I went to Super League, I already had these players. I had, I had four or five players. I had Conrad Hurrell in there. And then, like you know, Rob Purchase and 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 they were quite surprised. But some of these guys are my ex-teammates. Yeah. So some of the guys, you know, I've played against, I've played with. They respect me. Uh, and honestly, the guys who spoke about it, they actually love the idea. Uh, you know, I hope the rubber league uh, the rubber league community, get behind it. It's, it's something brand new. Uh, it has a comic twist to the com- to the comic. But you know, rubber blood is it's about a guy who's who perseveres and never gives up. Mm-hmm. And overcomes obstacles, you know. And a lot of young kids could relate to that because being a sportsman is tough. You know, there's a lot of sacrifices, discipline, dedication. And David King, he doesn't have any superpowers. He's just a guy that never gives up. You know. And obviously, we have got the shot clock, the second comic to come out already. But uh, it's 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 a lot of hard work. It's been a lot of hard work to get the, the comic up and running. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's uh, a. <laughs> It's it's quite an achievement,
0: Paul. We've got to find a way to get Mount Pleasant in this somewhere. <laughs> well, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> that'd probably.
2: be great. How long but did it take you to do? You know, from start to finish on the yeah. Comic? So what I did, I wrote a film script with uh,
3: a Norwegian writer. Uh, probably took me about nine weeks to do that. Oh, yeah. uh, so you know, you know, I threw myself into different different things. You know, mm-hmm. uh, obviously doing the acting uh, is one thing. You know, I support many charities. Uh, I'm just about to launch my own CBD company, and I've got a, a clothing line which is a, chari- a charitable fund with an American company. Mm-hmm. Over, uh, made me the first of their brand, which is Kilo Gear cut, and it's called Project Mason, but it's for mental health. Right. So, some of the cuts I get from that go to yeah. mental health, and I'm. Listen, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I went through a tough, very tough time, and I pushed myself through the other side. Mm-hmm. You know, and if I can inspire. Athletes, or anybody, when they, re- when they finish rugby league or sport or any sport, that your life is not just sport. Mm-hmm. You can kick on, but you have to rededicate yourself and push on. And, uh, you know, I'm a testimony to that.
0: Is it fair to say that you're not missing life on the field, then?
3: Listen, rugby league gave me, gave me everything. You know, it's, it did save my life. You know, I had a pretty, pretty wild childhood, and uh, rugby league gave me that discipline. Uh, I was very lucky to play with some of the best teams in the world one of the best players in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, going to Melbourne at 19 was was unbelievable. Really was, you know. I had a standout year at Wakefield, and then next minute I'm pl- playing with Scott Hill and Stephen Kearney and all these great players. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, Melbourne was a, a, amazing. St. Helens was fantastic. Uh, had a great time at Huddersfield. Everywhere I played, it, it was brilliant. But coming back to Rugby Blood is, you know, marketing the players mm-hmm. in a different light as comic heroes. Yeah. You know, like said, Rob Ellison sees it as something jumping out the box. You know? I think,
1: but you're also telling the story of the sport because if one yeah. thing <laughs> rugby league has done since 1895, it's overcoming adversity and obstacles and, and barriers. And it's great that yes. the focus is on the players. Yes. But the underlying theme of it mm. is, if you like this this theme, yeah. that's the sport.
3: Yes, rugby yeah. blood. Rugby blood. Rugby is in my blood, and it's in many rugby mm. players' mm. bloods because were born into it. And that the reason why it's just down the M62 corridor because it's a working class area. Mm-hmm. Tough people are from the north, right? And you know, you have to be born into rugby league because it's not, it's such a tough sport. You know, and I've come out the other side looking. I was a front row forward and I played the game hard. Mm-hmm. You know, I went 100 miles an hour. So, you know, I think rugby blood is obviously, it, it, it's born now, mm-hmm. it's out there. Uh, and if I can go to Netflix and do a Netflix, um, you know, anime series. That would be fantastic, brilliant for well, Super League.
0: Tell you what, Keith, I hope that it all worked well. Because uh, it seems very, very exciting to me what it could do for yeah. Rugby League. Um, yeah. it's good luck with that. You mentioned the word tough.
1: Yeah.
0: I want to bring up Mickey Hyam. Just to move this on, I think you've will played against him. I'm sure he's played against everyone, hasn't he? He's been <laughs> No, he's played, we played together for a couple of seasons at Saint Helens.
2: 550 career oh, appearances. Fantastic,
0: Paul. How on earth has he done that?
2: I've no. I played mm. 333, and Barry, what did, and you know, <laughs> we, we played him at the weekend. Lee, and I'm just, he's just a special player. You know, when he retired, you come back, you think, guys, oh, his, his time sort of gone now, but. Mm-hmm. It's so, you know, you, you fear him, to be honest, you know, the energy that he gives and he gives the players around him. is his you know, is absolute credit to the game. He's, uh, I was I can't remember who was telling me the story.
0: It was um, Brad Dwyer. He thought he was going to play at, at Warrington when he was coming through because Mickey Iron broke his hand, but he played through it. He played with mm. a broken hand. And then during another game, he still had this broken hand. He broke his other hand, thought, brilliant, I mean, and he kept on playing. I, I, I just Phil, the the guy never ceases to amaze me.
1: He's the status quo of rugby league. He's retired that many times. Yeah. Yeah. But the issue we've got, and I think it was highlighted last week, you know, Cameron Smith, um, come back to Keith in a minute about his time at Melbourne, but um, 400 games, first time it's ever been done in the NRL. They don't play as many fixtures, so I get that. I also get that the profile of the NRL is more equivalent to Premier League football. So when somebody, Achieves a milestone like that, they quite rightly get fated. You mm-hmm. know, chief executive of the competition's on the pitch, giving him a crystal ball, and all. Yeah. That. At the same weekend, Mickey Hine plays 550, and it virtually goes unnoticed. Yeah. Danny Maguire plays 400 Super League games, absolutely puts in a virtuoso performance mm-hmm. to potentially be the, the the match that saves his team from relegation. Um, leaves again at a stadium where he's had all his great success. Mm-hmm. And it's a wonderful story and it barely gets told and that's why i think the comic's so important because if you can put players like that on a pedestal you know who's to say that in volume three of that mickey hyme won't come in on a walking stick aged 105 yeah. and still be playing <laughs> but you can do that through this medium and we owe it to yeah, the players to do yeah. that we've got that's,
2: to publicize the, the stars yeah. there any big stars in the game well, now so well, it's well, what, one of the it problems out. paul it was it was evident there
0: was a, there was a pitch pot on social media after Cameron Smith made his 400th appearance and the, the furore on the pitch, there was a big presentation, there was all sorts going on. And then there was a picture of Danny Maguire after the game at Headingley. He's just played at the place he's... Bec- he's going to go yeah. down as an icon, isn't he? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, put another in masterful of performance, 400th appearance, and there was one person with a, mm. a radio headphones. He, Keith, okay, that's, that's an issue, yeah. isn't it? We're not giving we're these guys... I think then. that's
3: what Rob Elston's coming for because mm-hmm. that's what we should be aiming for yeah. you know to give these players credit because it's, it's the toughest sport in the world it really is uh if you've never played the game at that level you mm. can't say you can't really badmouth a player because players play with injuries all year all year yeah. long, mm-hmm. you know and it's uh you know and, and i'll say again you know we don't get paid as much as we'd like to get paid or deserve to be paid oh, sorry yeah. or deserve to be paid so you know when players retire they might have a little pot but that won't last long you know, and, and I I wish players were on millions of pounds, you know, because it'd be, I think you'd save a lot with, you know, mental health. You know, people will be set up because, you know, you can be a great player, then all of a sudden you've forgotten about, but mm-hmm. you've got nothing to fall back on. Uh, I think, you know, the salary cap, uh, I think, quote this, I think Rob Elston would rather not have a salary cap. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the players, like I said, I'm going to put the players and make them into Comic Heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, if you go to Netflix, then I'm going to give the players opportunities for work. Because it'll be voiceovers for Conrad Hurrell or Jermaine McGilvery. Mm-hmm. Uh, You know, I've I've I'm doing a film next month, a Netflix film called Jack Stall Dead. And uh, I reached out to McGilvery and Conrad Hurrell and I said, listen, I can cast you in a film. Would you like a role? <laughs>
0: How did Jermaine McGilver respond to that? <laughs> this is,
3: I loved it. So, uh, so I said to Jermaine, I'm going to be a tactical leader in a team in a Netflix series. Would you want to join me? And like I say, you know, me coming back and, and giving these guys opportunities in films, especially Conrad as well, Conrad Hurrell, mm-hmm. and them guys are like, wow. Because think about it, Mickey Rock gave me an opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. If I was in ever, ever a position to give a Super League player an opportunity in a film, and maybe a career after, you mm-hmm. might do a good job. Then that's what I'm doing. You yeah. know, I'm giving back, but, you know, I do,
2: I got a lot of time for, for the players because I know what they go through. Mm-hmm. Any cool. chance we can get the final at the Fox's Biscuit <laughs> Stadium? I'll we'll tell you what, <laughs> we'll have a talk about that. Yeah. Well, let's
0: carry on that conversation after the break. We're going to have to have yeah. a quick break now. After that, we'll talk about Batley. We're on the brink of a first ever trip to Wembley. We'll be right back. Back to the final part of Rugby League Back Chat. Before the break, we were just mm. wrapping up this conversation. I, I want to know how Jermaine McGilvery, Keith, reacted when you yeah. said he could become a movie star because knowing <laughs> Jermaine a little bit, I can imagine that the, the dollar signs yeah. were running, running <laughs> through, his, uh, through his eyes. No, he was,
3: he was, he was quite happy about it. So, <laughs> so, you want to be in a movie, mate? It's like, you what? Yeah, yeah sure. When? So, uh, I reached out to Jermaine and Conrad Hurrell. Uh, giving them guys opportunities to be mm-hmm. in a film, like I said before. Uh, you know, you never know if they do a good job. The thing is, with, with, with Jack's Dahl dead, it's uh, it's a series. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing we're shooting a pilot, and then uh, after the pilot, there could be ten episodes after that. So that mm-hmm. means that there's there's, 10, sure. there's work and there's, and there's potential money for, for Conrad and, and I think
1: you've got the remake of the A-Team here. Oh,
3: yeah, yeah <laughs> well, you never know, mate. But, you know, to come, coming back into Rubber League this way and, and helping, mm-hmm. few, you know, stars of the game right now, uh, including him in the comic uh, and also giving him opportunities in films. Mm-hmm. If I can do that, I will do that. And it's, it's fun because yeah. Comrade's a top guy, very colourful guy. Mm-hmm. I think he's got a few words, a few lines in the film. Yeah. I don't know about Jermaine, but <laughs> when I tell Jermaine, Jermaine was over the moon about it, mm-hmm. he thinks he's got a new career now after, <laughs> after rugby league. And uh, going back to Jermaine, a phenomenal player. When I first met Jermaine, we used to play unopposed at Uddersfield, and he was a young kid him. He was playing at your club. playing at yeah. Yeah, playing at Batley. We yeah. made top, him. T- top try scorer, <laughs> got to a final, didn't really, he? He did, win did yeah. Show, yeah. So, uh, and congratulations, going to Wembley. Nearly. Nearly, i Oh, sorry, I don't want to jinx <laughs> him. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but, you know, Jermaine, I remember he used to run back, and we used to get some real hammer, but I remember how strong he was, you know? And he used to come up to me and go, Keith how can you're so fit. You do, do carries and you run back, you do all tackles and stuff. Because He used to to train hard. Mm-hmm. Just train hard, and, and I read an article, that Jermaine had just written and he said players he looked up to and he mentioned me. And, and uh, Greg Brown said, oh, I like a triathlete. I could be able to, I could be a professional triathlete if I wanted to be. But uh, yeah, just like I said, going back to uh, giving these boys opportunities and making them comic heroes is the least thing I can do. And with the comic, it's just the start of things. But he's putting rugby league, he's showing a different take of rugby league. And uh, it's something completely different for, for, for fans and, and for kids. And I just don't be, enjoy it. You just need Jamie Jones to be Cameron's beard in there. Uh, I think we get Jamie in there. I saw him last week at Leeds. But he's the said new he, BA. He gave me. A, he said <laughs> it. He thought it was great what I was doing. And, and uh, when you when you you don't know until you see your peers mm-hmm. and this and, and they you know they big it up and they say look it's great what you're doing. So it just gives you a little bit of confidence to just keep doing what I'm doing.
0: Paul, uh, I think you said that Batley made Jermaine McGilvery. I'm sure there'll be people who argue with that, but I'll give you some credit. <laughs> but you are on the verge of making history. You are one game from Wembley for the first ever time in the 1895 Cup.
2: Sheffield, next week. Yeah, it's, it's a tough game. We've played them twice and they've mm-hmm. beat us twice. But, you know, it's semi-final football and that bounce of the ball might go our way. And you know, the club's desperate to get there. You know, it'll be fantastic Won the Northern Rail Cup in 2010, and, you know, we lift off that for a it was brilliant. So, mm-hmm. yeah, just fingers crossed the boys can,
1: you know, put that performance in won the first ever Challenge Cup in 1897. Second as well, I think so, we did, yeah, we did. So it'd be great to be in the first ever. Yeah. ADAC. Just as a matter of interest, if you get to the final, how many fans do you think you'd be able to take? I would imagine we'd take all the battle there, to be fair. Which would be fantastic. Yeah. That justifies the concept in itself. I think it's,
2: it's just great to give mm. you know players, we're not disrespecting at a lower level, a chance to play at Rebley. I, I mean, it, it's, it's got to be fantastic you what, know, for them.
0: What would it do for the club if, you were to go to Wembley first and foremost, potentially win it. What what would it do for a club like it's just,
2: I like, You know, it's just giving us a, another boost again. And, you know, for, for the old both divisions, it's given a club like Ballet. probably should never be there, but anyone can be. You know, it's a cup competition, you know, that's pretty fair as well. Anyone can be anyone in that in that competition. So, yeah, just desperate to get there. It'd be brilliant.
0: I mean, it'd be a fantastic story its own, right? But obviously there's there's been a lot of ups and downs at battle this year, and obviously Kevin lost his his late wife mm-hmm. Beverly. That I mean, that would be the ultimate tribute to her if you could. Yeah, if he it, could walk out and lead the team out at Wembley, wouldn't it?
2: Yeah, it, it's been a real tough year uh, to be honest. You know, we, we're doing we had a charity head shave at the weekend. You know, we've got a massive pink following there. You know, we do lots of breast cancer. We're touching nearly hundred thousand pound in you know four years, which is Amazing. unreal. One of our players, Michael Ward, got his hair cut off, raised four and a half grand. On the just giving page, but behind the, you know, we stayed after the game and a thousand pounds just five spectators there just chipping in for it. And, you know, it, Beverly was massive for the club and, you know, she's a massive loss. And, like you say, for Kevin to have walked the team out Wembley, it'd be, yeah, it'd be, be great. I think, I think one
0: of the best performances you put in was very, very soon after a, a side passing against Halifax, wasn't it? Yeah. So if, if that can be motivation in, Next week, yeah, did, did. All
2: on the Halifax, the, the players found out on the morning, you know, when right. she died, so it, they'd literally turned up to the the ground. And it, it, it was it an eerie sort of feeling that day. And mm-hmm. I think would have beat St. Helens that day, you know, the players were that revved up and they just gave absolutely everything to against a great team of Halifax who were, you know, flying at the time as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm sure, well, the players give the best every week, and fingers crossed. You know, we can get there. Sheffield's going to be real tough, though, and they've got great cup history at Wembley as well, so
1: it's, it's a good final. And Kevin's always been very honest about the aims and aspirations of a club like Batley, and he's almost, well, I think he has actually said, Super League might not be for us. We are a community club, we can, we can raise money in a uh, fashion that you've mentioned. Yeah. So to get to Wembley, to win a trophy, that that Northern Rail moment where you right, must have taken brilliant. about six thousand fans yeah, to Blackpool, it but it's all—it's bringing back the trophy and standing on the town hall steps and Just the re-engaging the with and, kids, yeah. like we were saying in part one about what a World Cup could do. You don't have to aspire to be winning no. at Old Trafford. This could be as important yeah. for a club. Well, we like want Ballon. to be
2: the best. Our goal since I've been in charge for 14 years is to be the best part-time club, and you know this year we're struggling a little bit, but a couple of two point, you know, reversals in the fixture, you know, we're there again. But yeah, it's just, it's great, you know, and you need, because we're struggling in the league, you've got something else to play for, mm-hmm. you know, which is great for Matt and the boys.
0: What What does the future hold for Batley? Take take the 895 Cup outside. What What does the future hold? What What plans are in place? What I know, I know you're doing all sorts behind the scenes and it's sometimes you've got to do it just to stay where you are, but what plans have you got to
2: push on and move forward? It's it's, it's tough at our level because the distribution's where you are in the league. So because we're struggling a bit this year, it's making it really difficult to sign the players. And then the the clubs higher up in the league sort of pinch the better players off you. So we're in that cycle, we're in that sort of every two or three years. But, you know, we do as best we can, you know, that the players we get are all good championship players. And, you know, we just want to kick on. Really, it'd be nice to get an A-team up at the, I think for the game needs an A-team, that's one thing we're looking at. But you speak to the local people in the amateur game and, and that's really struggling. So I think it could be a three, four year plan to that happens, but I just think the game desperately needs it.
1: Economically, how can you plan when you, you don't know what money you're going to get from year to year? You don't necessarily know what the league structure is going to be from year to year, because again, 2021 is a seminal year with the renegotiation, the television deal. It may be that distributions change again, that League yeah. One gets marginalised to a certain extent. How can you plan when you're a club like
2: Me Bradley? and Kevin have a crystal ball at Nero's Cafe and it's just <laughs> a bit of fingers. You it's hard. We, we sort of work on the, the bottom, what we can just afford. And then if we get more, we can, you know, sort of buy. It is, it is very difficult to, you know, to, to budget for it. It really is hard. Not just us, every, every club in the league is the same.
0: Keith Mason at uh, Batley at Wembley. Yeah. What would that how special would that be? Well it'd
3: be awesome, you know. I'm a I'm a Judgesby lad. So uh, you know Batley's just So you're cheering for Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no against Batley. That's uh, no, great. It really is. Uh, it'd be great to see Batley get to Wembley final. Uh, they've been a really good championship team for for, for a number of years now. Uh, but uh, it w- it would be great, it'd be great for Batley. Yeah. I'm I'm sure, you know. Some Jewelry fans will go down as well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> to Chief Henry. It? Fair Sheffield again. The yeah. The, well, the <laughs> Rugby League community, right? So, yeah. uh, but I do hope you get to the final, mate. No, thank uh, you. I really do. I think the, uh, the great thing as well is that it reinvigorates the concept of Wembley, which you were talking about when you played there for Huddersfield. It used to be at the festival. Mm. Everybody went yeah, no matter who was playing and we've lost that um, through no fault of our own. It's just the way yeah. the professional game has gone. To to be able to say there'll be two sets of supporters there mm. who support lower division clubs yeah. and maybe, as you say, the Dewsbury's going on to shout against yeah. Batley or support the heavy woolen district. That's what we need. I think the other semi-finals really interesting as well because it's going back to Mickey Heim, you know, He deserves perhaps to go mm. out. At oh, what a way
2: to finish, yeah. yeah.
1: But also, Widnes who have had to regenerate themselves the mm-hmm. same as Leeds. For two clubs like that to have the opportunity to be finishing their season in some ways out at Wembley, that it, it is yeah. the whole thing works. Yeah. And it's, yeah, all we've had is some criticism that it's going to be the game that's on after the Challenge Cup final. Doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. No, you know what?
2: We've got to start somewhere, don't you? And, yeah. I keep going back players to play at Wembley it's just absolutely I've never been fortunate enough to do it, it must be fantastic yeah, it is I mean that day in 2009 I'm guessing
3: every single player on that pitch had dreamt to play on Wembley uh, I don't know if any of them had ever played at Wembley uh, but for me just to walk out on that field you know watching all the finals as a kid Widness, Wigan, Ellery Amelie you know uh, Martin five scoring the foot you know that's all we go with and uh, you know Chris Joint said to me because, you know, the Super League in this Challenge Cup and this Challenge Cup is the one to win. Because it's so prestigious. It's been around 100 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the competition is a knockout competition. So, you know, and obviously not, not enough to take away from the Super League. I didn't win a Super League, you know. I were lost in a few semifinals. But to win a Challenge Cup is just phenomenal. It really is. And just to get to a final, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we lost in that final, but... I can tick off and say that I played at Wembley and, and I had, my boyhood dream was realised. I met
1: Mickey Rourke afterwards. It all worked out well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> while, while you're here, and I know that it we're really did, yeah. tight for time. I'm absolutely yeah. fascinated by your time at Melbourne, if we've got a couple of minutes to talk about yeah, that, yeah. because you were there almost at the beginning. You were seeing the arrival yeah. of these legends. Did you think that they would create a dynasty because they've gone on to be Mm-hmm. This uh, The greatest club and the best expansion club we've ever seen in rugby yeah. league. I think the thing with,
3: with Melbourne, uh, when they brought Craig Bellamy in, phenomenal coach. Uh, straight down the line, he just wanted the players to work super hard on everything. Defence, attack, fitness was a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I signed, I was 19 years old, I think it was the youngest Englishman to ever go over there. Uh, they paid a fee to, to Wakefield. And uh, it was just a dream come true for me. And actually, I live with Cameron Smith, so there were me, Cameron, mm-hmm. his wife, were there. Uh, and I remember the first day I got there, I went, I went, I went up to the bedroom. Cameron was uh, staying in the same house, and I cried because I was 12,000 miles away from home. It just hit me. I thought, I can't just, I can't just get up and just go out to my mum's, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, going there, it, it, I went there a boy and came back a man to Saint Ellen's. It learnt me so much. And that's why I say any any guy, any any uh, Super League player gets a chance to go to the NRL, go. Because it's just the experience of, of travelling there, uh, a whole different culture, beautiful weather, beaches, mm-hmm. uh, and this is probably the best move I ever I ever made to go to Melbourne. And like I said, Mark Murray were there the first year. Uh, I scored in my debut game against West Tigers, which was great. Then the week after, I did my knee. So I was out for eight weeks, absolutely gutted. Mm. I came back and then I played against New Zealand Warriors. I was only 19 years old playing prop forward in an hour on. And you were playing with some of the players that were going to be the
0: greats of the game.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It was was a fantastic time. Uh, Myself, Cooper Cronk, Billy Slater, Cameron Smith, Ryan (laughs) Hoffman. uh, We all made his debuts around the the same time. Uh, But Craig Bellamy was was the guy who... uh, came in and shook, shook the team up and he's still there now. So, yeah, Melbourne Storm was fantastic and uh, I'd like to thank everybody there for making my time worthwhile and uh, I really enjoyed it. Moving, awesome.
0: on, uh, moving on, just quickly. Championship meeting last week. Channel 4 have had talks. Paul, you're the man to fill us in. What?
2: Well, I would have, I missed the meeting. I would got you the dirt. It's yeah. But Uh, but but good news, surely. It's got to be great. You know, getting the game on on, on any platform would be great, but Channel Four would be fantastic. We've got it with the R League and it's we've just got to promote the game as much as we can.
0: How big a game-changer would this be if it comes up? Depends off?
1: what it is. I think we've got a product that, again, we sidelined, which is the story of Rugby League, that we come up with brilliant ideas and we don't see them through. But Rugby League Raw was an award-winning oh, program, which, which would no, be yeah. magnificent for Channel 4. For me, that's exactly the kind yeah. of thing. I'm not sure... It would have to be a bit more
0: politically correct.
1: No, it, not if you put it on bit. late at night. Which okay. Is, okay. I, I, and I think that's what Channel 4 is renowned for. Mm-hmm. Um, But I'm not sure that there is um, the finance to film a game every week. I think having a discussion with Channel 4 and what they would put on are two different things. On average, it takes about £20,000 to properly film a game in the the standard uh, and to the style that it needs to and and it deserves to. Mm. And I'm not sure even as a commercial station, they'd get a return on that, uh, a return of investment. So I think that yes, there are things we need to be doing with Channel 4, them moving their headquarters to Leeds, I think probably is significant. Um, But I think it's it's that kind of documentary. It's a bit like the comic. It's going back to building up stars in the environment that they're comfortable in, show some highlights, mic up some people, but not necessarily get carried away with it's going to be a championship game filmed every week in its entirety.
0: Paul, in terms of, we don't know the final, we we know very little at this stage of the game, but financially, if the competition could get its own broadcast deal, I know there's all the talk about Super League and the money that comes from their deal, but if it had its own and was... Fairly significant. What would it do for the future of the game at
2: that level? It just makes us more sustainable, and you know when you are on telly, your sponsors got the perimeter bars and everything. It just makes it much more appealing for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know the players
1: definitely make my job easier. You know yeah. selling, selling stuff like that and. I was, I was just, it, we
2: just need to be on talent. But it
1: goes back to something else that you said as well, and that is there's got to be equality in that division. So whilst everybody loves watching Championship Rugby, the gap between the haves and the have-nots is too big. So if you're going to put it on Channel 4, you can't have mm. blowout scores and empty stadia. You, we need to also come up with a competition that's more equitable. I think the competition is mm. tough.
2: You know, we've had Toronto on every week and you've got first games of the season. Jules Bridge should have beat them. And, you know, mm. I'd probably disagree a little bit. I, mean, I think the competition's real good. Toronto are by far the best team, but you take them out of it and there's, you know, there's nobody who'd run away or nobody you'd fear to play.
0: <clears throat> I'd, love, I'd love to carry this conversation on, but we have run out of time, so that's where we'll have to wrap it up. A huge thanks to my guests this week, Keith, Paul and Phil. Don't forget, you can join the conversation too on Twitter at rlbatchat. But for now, bye-bye.